Hey everyone, this is Kurt Mercadante, and whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener, I want to thank you for choosing to spend your time with me and our guests here on Freedom Mindset Radio. You know, now more than ever in this turbulent time, it's important to share and spread our message of freedom and fulfillment around the globe. So if you get value from this podcast, I have a favor to ask. If you could go wherever you listen to this podcast and leave us a positive rating and review, that helps us carry our message further around the globe. And if you wouldn't mind, post a link to this podcast on your Facebook page, share it on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn wherever you're at on social media. I want to thank you for helping us take our message to those people around the globe who truly need it. And I want to thank you for being a loyal listener. Thank you. What I tell corporations when I speak there is how do we overcome the unthinkable adversity? The unthinkable adversity was me when I was 18 years old and my mom was shot and killed in my church. What does the word freedom mean to you? Only you can define it in your life, and only you can decide to build the life of freedom and fulfillment you deserve. This is Freedom Mindset Radio. I'm your host, Kurt Mercadante, and we're grateful you're here. So, Chris Singleton, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on the Freedom Media Network. When I first reached out to you, coronavirus was out there, but I don't think we had any idea uh, that we would both be on opposite ends of the same city quarantined and not able to leave the house, right? <laughs> yeah, seriously, man. I had no clue at all. Well, as, as a brief intro, and Chris, I, I'd love for you to tell your story. For anyone who's not familiar with Chris, Chris is a former professional baseball player in the, oh, I can't say it. I'm a White Sox fan, the Chicago Cubs <laughs> organization. He's an inspirational speaker. Uh, he speaks to over 35 or spoken to over 35,000 students. He's been featured in Sports Illustrated, CNN, USA Today, ESPN's E60 program uh, back in 2015. Chris's mother, Sharonda Coleman Singleton, was murdered along with eight other victims at Mother Emanuel AMHE Church in downtown Charleston, uh, an event that rocked the world. And um, Chris inspired here in Charleston, you know, seeing it firsthand here, but also the nation when he stood out there on TV and said, love is stronger than hate. And Chris inspires his audiences through his personal experience of adversity and his belief that God can guide you through any storm through which you will ever pass. And Chris, you've been through the storm right now. There's a lot of people in the midst of this Corona storm. Chris, thank you for being an inspiration. Thanks you, thank you for coming on the show today. Man, I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you reaching out to me. I'm honored that we can make this work for sure. And, and and I did not mention, by the way, that Chris is uh, the community relations guru for yeah. <laughs> our very own Charleston River Dogs, which is one of, if not the premier uh, minor league. You know, I've been to a lot of I, I grew up in Chicago, okay, yeah. a lot of minor league uh, 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 ball clubs up there, some independent some uh, affiliated Kane County Cougars. I think they were at the Orioles for a while. They were at the Marlins for a while. Yeah. But the River Dogs, uh, I mean, this is serious stuff. And of course, Bill Murray, uh, you know, as a former White Sox fan who moved to Chicago back when Bill Vack owned the White Sox, Mike Vack, of course, is one of the owners. Um, and so so right now, offline, we are talking about the, the postponed uh, minor league baseball season, major league baseball season. So this is, this has upended your world a little bit too, right? 
Yeah, man, for sure. You know, I'm, I'm honestly so honored to to work for the River Dogs. I think a lot of times, you know, you get to make an impact outside of your, the place where you live, and that's cool. But I get to literally be still here in Charleston, you know, working for this minor league team um, as a community outreach director, and it's been it's been phenomenal, man. I, I always say thank you to our owners and and obviously Bill Murray and and Mr. Vec and everybody else that have done so much for allowing me to be here. So it's it's been a dream come true. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. And we, I, I always look forward to going to the games, especially in the spring and like fall when it's not like 190 degrees, yeah. <laughs> uh, but they, they are extremely fun. So I, I, you know, one thing I'd like to lead with is everything. It seems now I, I had a, a long career in politics and I got out because quite honestly, I got sick and tired of everything being about politics in my own mind, right? I was one of those people who sits there and watches like cable news for eight hours and got angry. And then we get on Facebook and try to get everyone angry. Right. And it seems that everyone's trying to get angry and people profit off that anger. But it also seems like probably because of that and social media, the way people use it and, 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 and some of the news, it seems like every single thing turns into a political act or a political debate. And when that happens, you look at people maybe who differ with you on something as an opponent. And when that happens, you can't have an actual discussion. And when you can't have discussions, there's no critical thinking. Back in 2015, when this situation happened at Mother Emanuel, you came out and certainly that is something in a situation that everyone tried to make political for whatever reason. You cut right to the heart of it. And you said, you know, love is stronger than hate. You have a message of forgiveness. I interviewed someone last week who, by the way, is a big fan of you. He's, he's never met you before, but he's a huge baseball fan, loves you as an analyst. If he's watching right now, Randy Gage, he's a prosperity guru. And back in, I think, 99 or 2000, he was shot in a random shooting in Miami and almost died. And he wow. talks about forgiveness. For those of us who have never even come close to experiencing something like you experienced, can you go through your mindset and what prepared you? Because I, I, I doubt all of a sudden something in your head just clicked and you're like, well, I'm going to forgive. You've been preparing for that, as odd as it may sound, a moment like that your entire life, right? Yeah, well, actually, man, I wouldn't say I was prepared for it by any means. I think nobody's prepared for what happened yeah. to me and my family. Um, but I will say this, you know, I was groomed in the church. I was groomed as a believer, um, but I didn't really have a personal relationship with God. I figured God was something mm-hmm. out there. I didn't, I didn't know who God was or what he did. I just figured it was something out there because my parents always said that that was true. Um, but when this happened to me and my family, my, my faith level grew by a thousand. It, it wasn't even anywhere close to how, how it is now. Um, because I think in situations like what happened to me, it was like, if this happens to you and your family in a church, you can think two ways. You can think there's no way there's a God if this happens, or you can say, God, I don't know how this happened, but I need you to get me through it. And I went with the latter and, and, and truly, man, I put everything I had into God and saying, Hey, I need, I need help. Can you push me through this? And that's when I would say the forgiveness came. I don't, I don't think it was me being prepared myself because I, like I said, I don't think you can prepare for it, but I do think that God used me in that moment to keep our city glued together um, and to, you know, stop different things from happening for the aftermath. Yeah. And I prepared is probably a bad word, but 
or the wrong word. You know, I, I truly believe that everyone is programmed a certain way and we don't know it. It's our subconscious. Yeah. And when I say prepared, what I mean more was even if you hadn't yet connected dots on that relationship with God, your mom had yeah. been programming you and grooming you, like you said, grooming in the church. So maybe you didn't know you were prepared, but there are people who are programmed without knowing it for scarcity and anger. And if you mm-hmm. asked them, they'd say, no, no, I'm not. But I mean, you saw it firsthand, right? I mean, people angry yeah. over something that, and, and, and let me be clear here in Charleston, um, you know, I'm, I'm an, I'm a newbie. So I can't, I'm one of those people who can't officially, we learned the hard way. I can't officially say I'm a Charlestonian, right? I, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't born here. I wasn't, you know, but having grown up and, and, and lived in some larger cities, the way the city came together, there's always jerks, right? There's always people on, on, on every side, Sure. but it was really amazing. I mean, I mean, something that could have been a powder keg for the city, seeing people come together. And I think, I know a big part of that was the example that you set. And, uh, you know, there, there's the, people see as that cliche, one person can make a difference. Just those, just that one sentence you said, I mean, just reverberated and, and kind of was a shockwave that you didn't think you were prepared, but, you know, some people say, I think Winston Churchill, you know, when World War II came around, they said he was born for the storm. Mm-hmm. Maybe you didn't know you were prepared, but you were born and you were groomed that whole way. And your, your mom prepared you and, and you helped other people. And now you're, you're continuing to help other people. Yeah, man. I, I definitely believe that um, after what's happened to me and what's happened to my, my family, um, using that to help people get through their toughest battles, their storms, is the reason why I've been put on this earth. I truly and wholeheartedly <laughs> believe that. Um, and even in times like this with the COVID-19, I, I try to be inspirational to people because me, this is a little bit different for me. Like when, I, when this happens to other people, it may be like the end of the world. But for me, I'm saying, you know what, I've been through some things and I, I know that we're going to get through this. Um, so I kind of have a different outlook on life. And I, I definitely try to share that with people I, I come in contact with. Yeah, I saw the other day uh, or yesterday, someone posted, it, it wasn't even a positivity post. It was more about how you can handle yourself in a tough time. And the pushback is like, you know, how can you talk about being positive at a time like this? And people are suffering and people are hurting. As someone who, who may just see you a surface level, right? They watch this and they see you smiling or they see a news clip back in 2015. You talk about love and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between just positivity and something that's, that's deeper? Because I'm sure... There were times, and I'm sure, I mean, gosh, you know, I, I lost my father from cancer, but not nothing, nothing like what happened to your mom. Mm-hmm. And even years now, it, you know, there's, there's those minutes of, of, uh, of sadness and of, and of wondering, I'm sure you've gone through those. I, I mean, I guarantee you went through that. So yeah, there's times course. when you're not positive and smiling, but what, what's the difference between just like positivity and, and kind of that sense of abundance that gets you through it? No, I, I definitely, if, if you don't, if you don't have those moments and you're not human, I don't believe, I, f- I feel like everybody has those moments. Still to this day, I get sad that my mom's not here. Um, I get sad that my dad's not here and I've got a two-year-old son that won't get to see his grandmother. So I, I definitely feel that every single day. So for somebody to come up here and say that, that, that those moments don't happen, then they'd be lying or they're a robot. Um, I definitely have those moments. But one thing about me is I don't let those moments stop me from pursuing things in my life. A lot of people that I've seen go through things, they let that 
paralyzes them for the rest of their lives. And, and with me, I've realized some things are going to happen to, to me that I can't control, but what I can control is my outlook on it and, and my response to it. Do you, um, you know, in the midst of this, right, you were finishing up your career, your, co- your, your college baseball career, you went on to get drafted. Um, and like you said, there's a lot of people who, who would, um, and, and we don't fault them, right. It's certainly understandable who would just stop everything, but there are certainly people who, and, and we wouldn't fault them for it. But like you said, kind of being paralyzed by it. Um, and not being able to move forward. You went, you graduated, you get drafted, you kept playing. And how did you find that inner strength to keep focused on your outcomes when there's so much noise going on around you? Um, well, first and foremost, I dedicated the rest of my college career to my, my, my late mother and my, then my junior year, my late father. Um, so I always had that motivation, but I don't think it stops there with me, with me personally, I use individual moments that were tough for me that pushed me, whether it was in the weight, the weight room or whether it was when I was training, I've used these individual moments to, to help guide me through the tough times. So let's say, you know, I'm having, I'm struggling um, playing my sport. I would use one of those moments where I said, you know what, I'm going to dedicate this to my mom. And that and saying that to myself, you know, out loud would actually propel me to keep working hard. Um, so I definitely think there's little things that I would do that kind of push me forward, even though I was going through some of the worst times in my life. Um, but I, I definitely think it's a perspective shift, man. And I, one of my favorite speakers, he says, pers- perspective drives performance performance. And so basically how you view what you do is, will affect how you do what you do. Um, and so I always viewed it as doing it for my mom, doing it for my family, um, and using those individual moments to, to push me forward. And it helped. It, you, you talk about perspective and be, and how you look at things. And I'm a big fan of stoic philosophy, which is no matter what happens to you, it's not really the, the happening and what's going on that causes you pain. It's your perception of it, mm. which is easy to say when it's like, I lost $10. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, when it's, when it's something huge, I mean, right now there are certainly people uh, not only affected by the virus itself, but people who are, I mean, here in Charleston, I mean, I think in a single day, three restaurant groups laid off 1400 people. Um, and it's easier said than done, which is why I think your, your experience and your inspiration, listen, I can say it and people could say, well, what, what the hell have you been through? (laughs) Right. You know, I grew up listening to my dad's stories of the great depression. And, and the interesting thing with that was his perception of it was, it was just all he knew. So as a, as a kid, that was all he knew was not having food on the table. He would tell stories as grandma would lie and they were cooking rabbit and squirrel <laughs> like because they didn't have anything else to eat. Uh, but yeah. I love that you bring up that perception. Um, do you, did you beforehand and since, do you do any sort of, uh, what, what's your self-care like in terms of helping strengthen your mindset? Do you do any type of meditation or affirmations or anything that really helps you guard against letting those, those perceptions of lack and limitation and, and anxiety get through? Yeah, I do. I'll share this. So we have, um, someone, some people called mental skills trainers for the Cubs when I was playing in the minor league Mm -hmm. system. 
And that's one reason why I love the Cubs. They they pour into their minor league system. I don't know about the White Sox. I love them too, I guess. But <laughs> the Cubs definitely pour into their, their minor league system with finances, with resources. And we had mental skills trainers that would actually come from level to level. It didn't matter if you were rookie ball or if in the big leagues, you know. So mm-hmm. they, they would come to our, our, our affiliate and they would actually teach us how to meditate. And so Josh, Joshua Lifrak is a mental skills coordinator at the time. And he basically taught us how to meditate. I'd never meditated before. Um, and it was amazing. And so we, one thing we did was we'd realized, Hey, those thoughts are going to enter our mind. Like we're human and it's not, we're not going to bash ourselves. We're not going to beat ourselves up for those um, self-limiting thoughts or whatever it is coming into your mind, but you're going to recognize it. And then you're going to get back on track to where you want to be. Um, so that's one thing that I, I learned first and foremost. I also believe that prayer is meditation for myself. I believe because even if you're not a believer, if you don't think that, you know, God is real or whatever it may be, I think that just speaking out loud verbally um, about something that you want in your life or something you're going through is therapeutic. Um, mm-hmm. And so that for me, prayer has always been therapy for me. Um, also, time with my family kind of keeps me keeps me sane. You know, when I was going through some of the worst of the worst times for myself, I would always say somebody has it worse than me. And I know that it sounds cliche, but it's so true. And I would even look up different things to, to, to make me believe that. So if I'm you know, sad about my mom being taken away from me, I would literally look up how many kids are starving right now. And I would look those numbers up and just be astonished about how many people are suffering 10 times worse than I am. And it, it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to actively look it up and see that there are people that, are, that don't have meals, that are missing meals. And me seeing that and saying, you know what? I know I've got it rough right now, but somebody's got it even worse. And so that's one thing that I always did to stay grateful for where I am in my life. And as part of that gratitude, I, I, you know, some people stop at the people have it worse than me and then just kind of stop. But you haven't used that as an excuse to just stay there, right? You say some people yeah. have it worse than me and you use that as fuel to to kind of use what you have to, to keep doing better, right? Because you could have oh, just sure. s- stuck in the same spot for years. Yeah, well, I, I honestly believe since I am blessed to be where I am, I think it's nothing but a blessing, you know, to have the parents that I had because I, you know, you don't choose your parents. You don't choose what kind of social class you're born into. Like I was blessed to grow up as a kid and get a good education. I, I acknowledge all those blessings. Um, and so for that, I'm going to do it for the people that aren't able to do it. You know, people that weren't as fortunate as I am, people that didn't have the parents that I have. And so I feel like I'm doing them a disservice not using the resources and the education that I've been given to, to be great in whatever aspect of my life. Back to meditation. There's a lot of folks, uh, you know, I recommend meditation to, and a lot of folks who try it and they do it once or twice. And one thing that you mentioned, wife, yeah, <laughs> that that's it. Yeah. That's it. I mean, one thing you mentioned is so key that there's this belief that meditation is all of a sudden you do it and your mind is completely blank and, and, that letting that other things just won't come in. And so they do it. And so there's, there's noise that comes in and they think I'm doing it wrong and they give up. But one thing you said is it's natural. It's human that it's going to come in, but meditation is about learning to bring it back to your center. Right. For sure. For sure. I think um, just as humans, we're going to get off track. We're going to get, our thoughts are going to, you know, go from here to there. But I, I believe meditation is realizing that and not, bashing yourself or beating yourself up for it and saying, you know what? I am off task. I am. My thoughts are, are, are moving away. Let me get back centered. Um, and when you're able to do that frequently and then over time, those thoughts stop fading as much. And, and you stay centered a little bit more. I think it's, it's awesome to see that growth process. 
Did it take you a long time um, to find gratitude in, in what happened to your mom? Um, I wouldn't say it took me a long time. I think I, I only found it when I started speaking out about it mm-hmm. before it was, it was a, what was me type of thing. And, and, and it was rough because I, I obviously miss my mom every single day. Um, but when I started speaking out about my pain and the things that I've gone through and hearing people say, Chris, you getting through that gives me courage to, or, or passion or motivation to get through what I'm getting through right now. Um, once I started experiencing those stories and hearing those things, then I said, you know what, what happened to me was rough, but I'm going to use that pain um, for my purpose. And, and, and in doing that, that's when I guess I found that gratitude for it. Yeah. Cause it's easy to be grateful for, well, the sun came up. I'm grateful for seeing a bird or hearing a song. Right. But the real, yeah. the real test is finding gratitude in the things that, that are kind of ugly and, and you know, uh, the, the difficult times and offline. One of the things we talked about was the notion of God and God being with you. And I'm sure, I'm sure there's people listening right now who don't believe in God and that's fine. And like you said, what do you, do you believe in the universe? Do you believe in, in some higher power yeah. that God isn't just with you for the good times, right? That's easy. Yeah. Um, and we, we've had, you know, here, when you look at coronavirus, we've had a long period of some easy times. It's easy to get comfortable, but oh, God's yeah. not just there for the comfort, right? He's there for the, for the, the uncomfortable times as well. For sure. I, I'll say this. So, um, I believe that I, I serve a God that is, that is there for the good times and bad times. I believe that all my prayers are heard. Um, I believe that the Lord is my rock to lean on. Um, and so that's just me. But with other people, I honestly believe that if if this is all that it is in the world, then it'd be it'd be pretty tough to 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 think that way. Um, yeah. And so I, I believe that the Lord is here in the good and bad. And when things are bad, I don't think he's he's doing it too. And I think that um, the devil or, or negative in, energy is real as well. And so we're combating that together. Um, so I, I do that. go out every single day and realize that bad may happen, but it's my response to it is how my life is going to turn out. Hey everyone, this is Kurt Mercadante, and I want to thank you for being a loyal listener to Freedom Mindset Radio. You know, in this chaotic time of coronavirus chaos, it's so important for people to have a process to define, create, and live their lives of freedom and fulfillment. I lay out just that process in my Amazon bestseller, Five Pillars of the Freedom Lifestyle. And in light of this turbulent time, I've dropped the Kindle price of my book to $4.50. That's a more than $2 drop in price. I do this because I truly believe that this is a process that will help those who need freedom and fulfillment now. Perhaps it's you. Perhaps you have spent the past five years, 10 years, 15 years trading away your freedom and fulfillment for a false sense of security and a toxic job and a lifestyle that doesn't fulfill you. And now you're realizing that security was an illusion and you want your freedom now. Go to fivepillarsoffreedom.com right now. There, you can get chapter one of my book absolutely free, and there's a link to purchase the book. As I said, we have dropped the price to $4.50 for the Kindle version of my book. I know the five pillars of the freedom lifestyle will help you define, create, and start living your freedom lifestyle now. Thanks again for being a listener. I wish you a day, a week, a year of freedom and abundance. Let's, let's talk about that impact that you're having. 
And uh, gosh, it, I mean, it, I can't believe that it's already been five years. Um, yeah. And uh, you, you, you spent time playing baseball, obviously. Um, you go around the country speaking to groups and to kids. Can you tell us what that's been like and, may, and maybe some, some, some stories and things you've learned as you've gone out and done this into the world? Yeah, man, it's, it's been phenomenal. Like you mentioned, it was, it was about 35,000 students. I think that was probably about a year and a half ago. So I need to wow. update that, update that, but it's, it's probably been close to, to 80, 80,000 students so far. And, and over the last two years, I started speaking corporately, which has been amazing. And this year alone, I had 27 colleges um, and universities on the calendar that I was supposed to share to. I think like eight or nine of those got knocked off due to uh, COVID-19, mm-hmm. but I've already done a ton of them and it's been phenomenal. Um, and I always get asked, where's, where's the coolest place or the, you know, the, the most impactful place that I've been. And I always answer that with being, being Fargo, North Dakota. <laughs> I go there every single year. First and foremost, I never thought in a million years I would go to Fargo, North Dakota. First, like, you, you know, people live there, but it's like, who, who lives there, you know? Yeah. And especially so, like uh, uh, compared <laughs> to like Charleston, I can't, there, there might yeah, not be exactly. another town, you know, that's exactly, the opposite. Right. <laughs> right? So it's, it's polar opposites. And so I went out there, um, I think it was probably three years ago, I started this journey and we had um, a police officer. We, we do like something with the police officers and the and students in school. And so we went out there, you know, we shared to like 10,000 students every single year. We do that with like eight or nine schools. And we've done that for the last three years, three or four years. And it's been amazing. I get out there, never thought in a million years I'd be in Fargo, North Dakota. And I get out there, get to go every single year and, and spread to 10,000 students. And it's been, it's been a dream come true, honestly. Anything that you've learned, uh, when, when I go out and speak, I always learn something new from someone in the audience and, and kids, you know, kids in many cases are more communicative than adults. They'll come and share stories with you or, or stories of how you've impacted them. Do you have any that stick out in your mind? I have hundreds of them. I actually screenshot every single student that sends me a message. I screenshot that message. Um, what I used to do is I would actually give out my information to the guidance counselors at schools. Being that I lost wow. both of my parents as a teenager, as a teenager, I would give out this information to them to all the students that lost their their, their parents or, or one of their parents or that are living with people that aren't their parents. And if they ever needed to talk to somebody, I would I would be that person. And at first, you know, I would do it, and the kids with me um, at three o'clock in the morning and say, Hey, is this really Chris? And I would say, yes, it's me. You know what, what's up. And then as time went on, they would, you know, get comfortable um, texting me and they would tell me what's really going on in their lives, man. And I, I've heard all of the above and it's, it's tough sometimes, but when you realize that they're coming to you because they feel comfortable about sharing their pain because you shared yours, then it, it means all, it means all the world to me. Let's talk some baseball. And because right now, People like me and probably you are getting, are getting jittery, right? There's no opening day. There's no baseball, you know, as a White Sox fan, my goodness, it was like the off season of all off seasons. And, and then of course, you know, being a White Sox fan, they have to rip my heart out by just like postponing the season. Right. (laughs) Um, one thing that came to mind when we talk about meditation and you talk mm-hmm. about mindset and, 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 you know, there's going to be people who don't like baseball and love basketball and football are going to tell me I'm wrong. But one of the things, you know, my, my dad was, uh, he grew up 
going to Brooklyn Dodgers games back when they were in Brooklyn, they'd pay, he'd pay like a nickel or a dime. Right. And yeah. he'd go there and, um, he saw Jackie Robinson play, uh, actually Jackie, Jackie was there when my dad was older. Uh, my dad was born in 29, but like okay. Pee Wee Reese people below I, my, actually I'm named after Brooklyn Dodger, Kurt Davis. Yeah. Um, and that's wow. why I was, um, true baseball fan then. Yeah. He, he, I mean, he loved baseball and, um, you know, one of the things that he always brought up and one of the reasons he loved it was the amount of thinking, not that football players don't think and not that basketball players don't think, yeah. but you know, I wasn't good at baseball. And one of the things was you put me in the outfield and you know, we talk about meditation, my mind would wander and I wasn't yes. ready. I wasn't prepared, but when you sit there, hell, even third base, right? You, sometimes you go a long time without that happening. Right. What, why did you, uh, why did you pick baseball over any other sport? And, and, and what do you think made you so good at it? Well, first and foremost, I I love all sports. I love football, love basketball, love baseball, soccer. My wife's Brazilian. So she's got me watching soccer. Um, and so, but, but the reason why I love baseball so much for me personally was, at a very, very young age, I grew up in Atlanta before I moved to Charleston. So I was in elementary school, third grade, and I was playing baseball with a team full of uh, African-American players. I, I had no idea that there wasn't a ton of black people playing baseball because in my section in Atlanta, it was all black and we were playing baseball. And so I had met my best friend there, TJ Card, when I was eight years old, and he's still my best friend to this day. Um, so that was the reason why I stuck with baseball solely because my best friend loved baseball. And so that's the reason why I started playing as I got older, I moved to Charleston. Um, when I was about 10 years old, I moved to Charleston and immediately I got here. And the first thing that I wanted to do was find a baseball team. My, my mom was, you know, fortunate enough and, and poured into me enough to get me on a travel team, uh, at that age. And, I got to play for a team called the Charleston Braves, met a ton of good people there and good friends. And at this time, I was still playing baseball, basketball, football. Um, but as I grew older, my passion for baseball just grew. I, I, I believe that think, that baseball is a thinking man's sport, like they say. And it's always like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to predict what you're going to do and you're trying to predict what I'm going to do. You know, it's like chess. Yeah. And so I, I love that part of it. Um, I also love basketball, man. I'm a huge basketball fan, huge NBA fan. I played basketball throughout all of high school. I was actually going to play both sports in in uh, college if I didn't get my offer at Charleston Southern the way I did. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I love baseball because it, it, it makes you think. I also love baseball because it, it shows who you are when you're failing as much as you do. It shows what kind of person you are. If you're hmm. a person that's all about you or if you're a person that's about the team, um, I love that aspect of it because you, you can really see that easily in baseball. So those are some things that I love about our sport. I, I love a good, like, you know, I know major league baseball doesn't like these types of games, but I love a good, like ninth inning it's tied one, one or zero, zero, because then you really start to see strategy come into play. You know, yeah, it's exciting to see, all right, hey, we're winning six nothing and we hit five home runs and and whatever mm-hmm. else. But it's that, you know, the manager really has to earn his money, right? When it's a one one oh, yeah. game or a zero zero game and sure. um and you know, pinch hitters, change change pitchers, all that, all that good stuff. Um, what do you think you know, the amount of of kids who come up who are like, Hey, I wanna I'm gonna make the big leagues. 
uh, you know, and, and this is it and I'm going to make it happen. What do you tell a kid who's 11 years old, you know, has a love of baseball and is like, man, I'm going to make the big leagues. I'm going to do it. You know, I got eight years left, seven years left. I'm going to play in high school, yeah. play whatever, you know, extracurricular. And I'm going to, I'm going to go to college. If you tell someone like that. I say, go for it, man. I, I definitely think every kid should just say they, they want to be in the big leagues. Um, I think one of the, one of the, the great things about baseball is you see those big leaguers and you see how hard the game is. And you're like, man, I want to be there one day. I, I would, I would never tell a kid that he shouldn't think they're going to be in the big, they're going to be in the big, big leagues um, because that's crushing their dreams. You know, obviously if the kids never played baseball before we got some work to do to get there, but there are stories in the, in, in the big leagues right now where people don't start till ninth, 10th grade and they're, mm -hmm. and they're big leaguers to this day. Um, so I, I definitely say go for it. But with me personally, I don't think that we should only look at this sport of baseball and say, if, if I don't get to the big leagues or if I don't get drafted, then I failed. No, that's not the case at all because I have tons of college teammates, high school teammates that love the sport um, and, and never made it that far. I think you definitely have to be gifted and talented, um, you know, God-given gifts to get there, um, but I also think it's, it's a ton of hard work. And so I'd tell that kid, you know, shoot for the stars, man. Go do for it, but you can do it. Why not? You got to work hard. Of course, you got to train more than anybody else in your town, in your state. Um, because when, once you get there, you're not just playing against the best that were in their city or their state. You're playing against the, some of the best that were in their country. Um, and so I definitely want people to understand that, that it's, it's, it's competitive as all get out, but I would never tell a kid they can't do it. Uh, you know, baseball. And I, and I think a number of American sports in recent years, there's been a lot written about the future of those sports and uh, whether they're waning in popularity or not. And, and some of it, you know, you see, for instance, soccer, you, you know, heck Atlanta, I mean, uh, Atlanta United drawn 60, 70,000 fans a game and the Falcons don't even draw that in many cases. Yeah. Um, but then you, you also see like, all right, what's going to happen at the high school level with football and are they going to ban it? Are they going to do certain things and all that? Mm -hmm. But with baseball, I remember a few years ago, major league baseball was having some serious, I think they had a task force looking at, uh, kids in the U S just were not going into baseball and playing it as much as they used to be, you know, it used to be American pastime. Everyone plays baseball. You got to play baseball, yeah. but now they're like, well, they gave some reasons, you know, it's too slow moving. It is a thinking sport, you know, football's, just, you know, I can pass it. It's exciting. Everything's going on yeah. being having recently pretty recently come up from school through there, but now being at in minor league ball where you're closer to the ground than you are, you know, in major league baseball, you're, you're getting these guys coming in from high school, from college. Do you see that being the case? Where do you see the game in five or 10 years? No, man. I, well, I think luckily in Charleston, man, we got kids all over the place playing baseball, um, which I absolutely love. Um, you know, we got different rec leagues here that I, I partnered with, with the river dogs that I helped out all the time. So I love that. But I have seen those studies, though, man, and, and it is kind of scary to see that. I know as far as like African-American kids, we, 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 we're, we're dwindling by the seconds as far mm -hmm. as in the sport of baseball. And so that's one thing that I'm trying to make sure that I combat against. Um, 
But this 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 sport is hard, man. This this is not something you can just pick up. And I think if you don't get your kids started when they're young, or your 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 grandkids started when they're young, then it's a little tough to do it. Whereas sometimes with football, you can be in middle school, high school, and you just pick throw on some cleats and some shoulder pads, and you're six three, two hundred pounds, and they're saying, "Let's do it." You know, I think there's a lot more skill involved. <laughs> yeah, in the right. Sport of baseball, um, and so you have to get them started young. So. I think 10 years from now, we'll, we may still have these questions, but I don't think our sport's going anywhere, man. I absolutely love it. It's done so much for me. And I'm, I'm, I'm lucky because here in Charleston, we got so many baseball people that they, that we never have that problem. It's funny. I remember, gosh, this at this point, probably 25 years ago, I was interning and, and one of the fellow interns was from uh, London. He, he came over. I was living in New York at the time he came over and he would just badmouth American sports. <laughs> right. He would say, well, you football players over here, you wear those pads and, you know, we do rugby and we're tough and we don't have to wear pads. Yeah. But then he would say baseball. He'd say, well, cricket, you know, they're throwing the ball as fast and that he, he could not get it through his head. And I tried to explain him cricket's a flat bat or whatever you call yeah. it. Round ball with a round bat is don't they say that that's one of the most difficult things to do is to hit a baseball, a round ball with a round bat. Yeah, exactly. And especially if somebody's throwing it uh, 95 miles an hour, <laughs> that makes it even harder. Yeah, right. um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So right now with being with the river dogs, it's a business and right now, you know, like many businesses and you're working from home here, you're, you're, you're director of community relations and your wings have been clipped a little bit and you're trying to do what you can from home. Um, being on the inside and the management team of an organization, a, a pretty large organization, I mean, because it's not just the management, but you got all those people that work and, 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 you know, ushers, people who help people get seated. You have people who do, uh, the public relations, you have people that, that work, that do the, the lawn care, the groundskeepers, all that. Yeah. What have you seen in terms of, of uh, within the organization from a management perspective, managing, developing, continue to develop the humans in your organization in this time of, of real uncertainty from a business perspective? Yeah, well, first, first and foremost, we've got great leadership that communicates with us all the time. You know, it's a, it's a quick email away or a quick call away, and, and they always answer whenever we need them to or whenever we want them to. Um, so that's been really cool to help. And I think in times like this, you, it has to be teamwork. It has to be teamwork. It can't be, you know, I, I, this is what I do and this is all I do. No, I may be the director of community outreach, but I, I work behind the scenes with food and beverage or I help out with, you know, operations. I try to just be um, a teammate, man, because that's how we get through times like this. It can't just be all about you. And if it is, and then you guys aren't going to do very well, I believe, if you got a ton of people being selfish. I think it's about staying selfless and, and providing as much value as you can in every aspect of your business. And speaking of business, you mentioned you go out, obviously you talk to, you talk to a lot of kids. You said 80,000 kids. Yeah. But you also go and talk to um, uh, corporations and businesses. What's your message when you go into a business? Because you, you, might, you might have a lot of 55-year-olds who think they've heard it all, yeah. right? Or six-year-olds no, sure. or 45-year-olds or whatever. Um, what kind of message do you bring to the boardroom when you speak to them? 
Yeah. So I, I literally about two weeks ago, I got back from my last corporate gig in, in Vegas and that was a subcontractors uh, convention called sub Excel. And so I've never been a contractor in my life before. And so I don't try to teach them things that they know about their business. What I tell corporations when I speak there is how do we overcome the unthinkable diversity? The unthinkable diversity was me when I was 18 years old and my mom was shot and killed in my church. And I had to figure out that car insurance was mandatory and it wasn't something you could just, you know, get if you Mm -hmm. wanted to. Um, I share different principles that I've learned in my life about getting through that. And so that's what I usually bring to the table uh, when I speak to corporate gigs. And sometimes they bring me in for diversity and inclusion. And I share my, my story about, you know, the reason why my mom was taken away from me. But for the most part, I, I go in there and, and, and teach them how do we overcome the worst of the worst? How do we, how do we overcome COVID-19 happening to our business? How do we overcome COVID-19 happening in our family? You know, so those are some things that I, I share when I go speak to corporations. The, uh, and, and right now there, you know, if you're speaking to a corporation a year ago about adversity and handling it, they may be in a comfort zone sitting, Oh, this is well and nice. Right. Yeah, <laughs> but it yeah. shows the importance because no one in January predicted that we'd be in a complete economic shutdown right now. Right. Sure. Well, I'd say this. I I don't think, well, I think people in business know that, you know, some things can, can turn the blink of an eye. Um, So I'd never say people are, are way too comfortable. I I do think we've had a pretty good run of everybody being successful financially, you know, in their business, whatever it may be uh, for the last five, 10 years. Um, But I do think that, you know, that doesn't stop, adversity from happening at home. You know, I don't think cancer says because, you know, we've been in a a bull market for the last whatever years that we're not going to affect your family. That's not how it works at all. And so people are still going through things regardless last year, but now they're a little bit more prevalent in everybody's life. So you, you brought up diversity and inclusion and, you know, I'd love to end this by talking about Charleston, the city of Charleston. Um, you know, you came here at 10, you've adopted it. The city has certainly adopted you (laughs) as a hero here. Right. And looking at Charleston, you know, I've lived in a number of other cities and we've seen over the last 10 years, things that have happened in other cities where the, the tension is so great that it takes one little spark for everyone to just kind of, <laughs> you, you know, uh, and, and I mean, everyone, not just one side, but, I, but I'm saying everyone and, here in Charleston, something that really could have torn the city apart. And this happened at a time when you had some other things going on in here in Charleston, right? You had the the, uh, oh, yeah. the police shooting in North Charleston. You had a number of things that could have served as an excuse for this city really to come apart. Uh, there were probably some people who would, wouldn't have, would have uh, on all sides, might not have minded that. <laughs> Why do you think Charleston responded the way it did. I, I think you were a big part of that. You know, hell, you could have come out on TV and just, and had a completely opposite message, right? And fire, but but your message was about love and forgiveness. You saw the the marches on the Ravenel Bridge. Uh, you saw artwork, you saw, every, it, it just touched everyone in a way that brought us together. Why do you think that was here in Charleston versus versus some other situations we've seen around the country? Um, well, well, first I, I believe everybody here in Charleston is my family now. You know, I, I truly believe that wholeheartedly. Um, and, and in times like that, I think there's two things you can do. You can come together as a city and say, we're going to get through this together. Or, or you say, you know what, this happened to you or this happened to us. So we're going to combat you completely. 
Um, and when we think that way, there is no nothing that I can that can get done. The reason why I think Charleston came together so much is because I, I know we've grown like crazy, you know, over the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years, we've grown uh, a ton. But I still think we're a small town, man. I, I truly believe that. I, st- I still think, you know, people know people. And, and, of course, people are new coming in left and right. But at the end of the day, I believe Charleston will never feel like a, a big city to me. Um, and so because of that, I think we've got that love um, when it comes to stuff happening. We'll come together regardless. Um, so that's what I believe. And, and when, whenever this coronavirus situation ends, please, if you're listening here and you're not in Charleston, come visit, come to our restaurants, go to a river dogs game, right? Go to, I know the Charleston battery is, has, uh, you know, they're affected too, and they have new ownership. Um, come visit Charleston. I know there's a lot of people who would wish that people weren't visiting, right? Because of our growth. But right now, you know, Hey, we need you come on down. It's, it's an incredible city. Like Chris said, it's still a small town, um, incredible restaurants, incredible people. Uh, and, and I've never lived in a place that has that family feel like Charleston does. And Chris, I want to thank you. Where can people go? They want to learn more about you. They want to hire you. They want to bring you into their company. They want to bring you to their school. Uh, they want to learn more about what you're about. Where can yeah. they go to find most about you? So they can just go to chrissingleton.com. Um, if they want to bring me into a school. There's pages on there as far as booking, as far as, you know, what am I doing right now? Um, so yeah, chrissingleton.com. I got all the social medias. All of them are verified. C singleton underscore two. Again, C singleton underscore two. You go on there, boom, you'll, you'll see me. Well, Chris, thank you for being an inspiration. Thank you for coming on the show. And thank you everyone for watching live. This has been the Freedom Media Network with Chris Singleton. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.